Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host, Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Bruce is European Vice President at Twitter and was UK Managing Director of YouTube in its infancy. His book, The Joy of Work, is a Sunday Times bestseller and Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat has been the UK's most listened to business podcast. Bruce grew up on a council estate in Birmingham and was the first member of his family to go to university. But early on, Bruce found ways to get noticed. His own cartoon CV of his life got him his first job at Capital Radio and he continues to find ways to empathise with and reach his audience. He talks with us about the increasing importance of creativity versus our increasing inability to be creative. He talks to us about the science of laughter and because he understands people, he can be the troublemaker that makes things better. He should probably work at Greenpeace next. magic um bruce daisley <laughs> uh firstly um what a what a positive surprise that was um cu- what, what was it a couple of weeks ago and uh got in touch didn't i really didn't expect you to come back and i and i really appreciated you coming back as quickly as you did um we're we're literally faking it we, we you know th- we're just we're just on a journey like we just kind of hinted at um where we're only starting out and uh we, we just we're just kind of onto something that we are both particularly interested in and you seem like the kind of person who will help us understand something that we're looking for which i'll explain in a second um and also hopefully help some other people and 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 that thing is uh so the the podcast is titled as you know life done differently Uh, the principle is really um what is it that drives people to live a a less conventional life to to not not kind of take the typical path um to get out their comfort zone on a regular basis um uh, i think mainstream media where where those characteristics create inspirational stories those stories are well told but it sort of leaves me and i think other people um wondering yeah but what about the person what 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 are they about where did where did that come from what's driving them where's the motivation and that and that's really the purpose of this okay so what we're hoping to do is just have a really sort of open conversation just find out about you find out about some of the moments in your life um that have led to us sitting here in twitter um and um and and also some of the other um projects and initiatives that you're involved in now um so it's worth saying, sort of, d- just to briefly sort of pick on um, one thing that you said there. Uh, I listen. I mean, let me tell you, I get emails from way weirder people than you. Oh like, well, I thought I was the weirdest. M- my email <laughs> is all over the internet, and like, and basically, any time it rains, just imagine my inbox because <laughs> you know every Twitter user across the country is is emailing me. So I get. I get dozens of emails what, and reply to them, so I wouldn't worry about what me stood out, or is that just a habit that you make? No, I reply to every email. I Do get, you? I get, but I get emails. I reply to every email I get, but I get emails all weekend. All like, oh man! Any time that you, you you're sitting there at home watching Netflix and the, and it's raining, you know there'll be someone emailing me, and uh, so look, you know, so so replying to someone who's clean and well presented, he's. <laughs> He's, he's nothing better than, you know, it's, it's, uh, I was very willing to do that. Presumably it's always raining somewhere, though. Nah, but it's like lunatics come out when it's raining. What's like when I used to work at Google and, and you know, Google, uh, their profits go up when it rains. And uh, it's weird, actually, because it's the opposite of the newspaper industry. They people, can probably make sure it does rain, can't they? People don't buy newspapers when it rains. But weirdly, they do do Google searches. And let me tell you, they also uh, email about their Twitter account. Um, what, are there any, just as a, a, a nice follow-on from what you're saying, are there any I- nice stories of those weird and wonderful emails that have actually turned into something interesting? Um, I mean, like, you know, not to sort of go into depth about what the emails are, but uh, there's a whole range of, of Twitter users that email me. Let me tell you, they're not emailing me to wish me happy Easter. Oh, I get you. Uh, you know, it's, I get it's, you. They're, they're almost always in block capitals. They're almost always in a, in one of the five stages of fury. Yeah. Uh, you know, like then they're, they're not 
wishing me well, asking how I'm enjoying the latest series of Queer Eye. It's, uh, <laughs> it's literally passing on class A swear words. Oh, man. So I'm going to consider myself a positive antidote. In Absolutely. That's, so look, well, let's just describe a bit about who you are. So if, if, if you meet somebody for the first time and they ask about you, what, what do you tell them? Uh, um, I, I, I would never tell people my job. So, so that's interesting. For, for the, for the benefit of you, is that here, always always been the case that you never people? Literally on holiday, I tell people I work at an in internet company. Do you? So I work I work back office internet company. Partly because <coughs> the second sentence, if you tell people you work at Twitter, is people say, "Yeah, don't really get that Twitter." <laughs> and it's like, oh, Christ, you know, I'm I'm here. My intention was to drink Rioja and like you know forget the existence of life not to try and onboard you to be a twitter <laughs> user so like you know it's sort of very clear to anyone i'm on holiday with do not tell them where i work okay so you're back office in an internet company yeah uh, back office man and then if you want to have the conversation what happens next? Oh, i would I, I, on holiday i would never do it it's just it, you know it, because my day job nine to five is sort of doing those things i um you know look you know it if I was being asked to account for myself in a professional way, then I would I would say I sort of uh, I work at Twitter, <laughs> but um, I would never elicit that as the main thing. Here's an interesting thing: my sister worked in London briefly. She works in Birmingham now, and she said the big difference between London and Birmingham was in Birmingham people say, "Hi, I'm Joe. Uh, where do you live? Where you live?" And in Birmingham people say, in London people say, I'm Joe, I'll do this. I do this. Oh, that's really interesting. And she, she felt that it was an expression of um, everyone trying to hierarchically yeah. level themselves. That's right. Yeah, know, yeah. People trying to work out where they are in some sort of horrible hierarchy. Yeah. So you're, so you're very conscious of that, clearly. Um, and it sounds like you've been conscious of that for a while. Um Certainly, like my sister holding the mirror up to it, I thought, yeah. yeah, that's definitely true, actually. So, okay, uh, if I, I, I'll say what I understand of you. So, you're VP for Twitter Europe, um, which basically means you more or less run Twitter Europe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a it's a pretty like important job f in many ways, but if you look at it through the lens of the company that is Twitter, but also externally. Um, for what Twitter is, you know, you run and have influence over a big part of it. So, it's a, so, so it's a, it, an important thing to be doing with your life. Um, but you've also got this other dimension, which is um, something about work-life balance um, and and almost the the kind of changing role of what work is in our lives um, from maybe the industrial age to um, the technology age. Um, and you, it, it seems to me that you've been on a journey to understand that and to, and to talk a bit about some of what you've learned and to understand a bit more about um, people that are taking a more progressive um, view towards the integration between work and life. And with that, I think comes, well, certainly comes two things that we were just talking about before we recorded, the, the podcast that you've been doing, which um, work, eat, eat, sleep, work, repeat, um, really well established now. Um, lots of listeners, loads of people, um, enjoying that and also the book that you've put out recently which is the joy of work um and both of those things have been wildly successful um s certainly in the worlds that we're interested in um what it'd be really interesting just to hear how do those things connect up for you yeah i mean my start point is i my first job when i came to london i um I worked a part of Capital Radio, and, the, and we we worked on like this really. It was called the Forty Towers of of Media. Yeah, it was like a chaotic part of of Capital Radio, and um, but there was incredible workplace culture there. I mean, it was it was beset with technological issues, and like it was chaotic. It was managerially inept, but there was a like an incredible esprit de corps about it. There was this incredible connectivity between people you know some sort of one professor calls it companionate love you know when you feel love to towards the people you work with um but you know there was there was most sort of graphically evidence of that um and so i was i was just always interested and you know there was a couple of times when a few of my friends or or people close to me had jobs that were less happy and less and less in less lucky environments so I was really interested. I've always been fascinated with what makes a good workplace environment, what makes a bad workplace yeah. environment. From the perspective, I was quite a troublemaker at Capital Radio, um, you know. But the the guy who was that's also known as entrepreneur these days, right. isn't it? Uh, I'm not 
sure. But um, the guy who was like the CEO of Capital Radio used to come over and he used to say, where's that troublemaker guy? I want the questions from him. You know, the rest of you are just asking these sort of, these these sort of bum-licking questions. I want the questions from him. It was like, I'll, you know, that, that wasn't why I did it, but I reveled in asking, you know, really pointed questions. I, I, I loved it. I, uh, without an exaggeration, people <coughs> used to step away from me when huh? I was asking questions. And it, it, had you always done that? Yeah, yeah, that, that was like my first job. No, but uh, did you always do that? Were you like that at school? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So let's let's rewind a bit. We'll come back to Capital Radio if that's okay in a sec. Um, t- tell us about like where where your earlier memories of, of school, where you grew up, and, and 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 maybe if you can try and come back to where you think that characteristic comes from of you know maybe not conforming being a bit outspoken um yeah i mean i grew up in a council estate in birmingham and i think what happened and then i went to a, st- a state school but there was a selective state school in birmingham and what you realize is you grow up in a council estate and you think the the human condition is to presume that the situation you're in is the norm you know, like, you know, whether whatever the situation is, we presume that everyone else is in the same boat. So naturally, I think, trying to uh, bridge empathy to other people. And then I went to this school and it was like, oh, right, OK, I'm literally, I wasn't the poorest kid there, but I was like the third poorest kid there. I'm literally like, oh, right, I thought we were all going to this, this grammar school, this free book grammar school. I thought we were all in the same boat. But yeah. in fact, like, I'm way poorer than these people. And so the injustice of that was really evident. It was like, hang on, this kind of isn't fair because I was at school with some really clever people before, but now I'm surrounded with loads of middle-class kids. I, you know, I presumed where we grew up was normal and why aren't my mates here with me? And I think, you know, there was a, a deep sense of injustice about that. My dad was a, um, well for most of the most of my life um and so I was, I was just like i was focused on those things really so um so i think that sense of the lack of justice was sort of big in my head at school did your parents um were they active in putting you into that school was that a deliberate yeah, it was act? A big thing for my mom right. like when, when you grow up on like you know um when you grow up in a council estate, you like you look for any opportunity yeah. to try and transcend that so situation. So you you feel like clear that you 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 were a, a, like a, a mechanism of change in some respects for your for your family. Yeah, but n- but n- no, because you don't take no one really. You know, my mum lives in the same house now. It's not like you sort of you presented with a, a Paul's win and you suddenly sort of trans transplant that but it was just like you know my mum was very insistent i worked very very hard at school yeah but not everybody's mum would have done that there were a lot of people who would have just accepted that that was their life and you know my my parents went to this school or my parent went to this school and they're you know we've always been here yeah there's no um looking for a different track yeah yeah i mean i'm not you know i I don't want to uh that that was just my response to it, like without sort of over overthinking it. It wasn't a conscious thing. No, it was no. Just like, um, you know. So, for example, when I was debating career options, I, I studied economics because I was so unhappy about the unjust, the injustice. Okay. Wow. So it was injustice driving. Yeah, yeah. A I was lot like, of this. Yeah. Right, okay. okay. We've got to solve this. This is not okay. You know. So that's why I chose economics. It was just like, right, we've got to solve this. So did you want to understand it or did you want to actually solve it? Yeah, I wanted to solve it. Yeah, and like, you know, so I was a Greenpeace collector from the age of about 16. Okay. And I was very active. I was like, you know, I would go, I would drop envelopes like two nights a week around like different houses, which is isolated, it's solitary. And like, this is before, you know, iPods and, you know, you're not listening to stuff while you're wandering around. You're literally trudging around. <laughs> I used to go up the posh houses. I used They're to probably listening to your podcast right uh, now. Yeah, yeah. Might, one of them might be listening to yeah. this one. Yeah. <laughs> There's no point dropping envelopes on the estate. No one had any money there. So you'd go to the the houses that I guess you know were only an order of poshness higher, but you'd go to the posh houses and drop the envelopes there because you just got donations. You know, there was no point doing that on the estate. And then I used to collect, you know, Saturdays. Uh, in sort of Moseley in Birmingham or in Selly Oak in Birmingham, routinely I would collect for Greenpeace. So when did this all start, this this sort of 
uh, sort of understanding that there was injustice in the world. Yeah, I mean, I was a vegetarian at the age of 11, and I was okay. a member of animal rights at, like, 12. And my family were politically disinterested, you know, albeit my mum is interested in politics. You know, there was no sense that there was people cajoling me into this. It was like, it was a, I was very... It was just inside something. Does it feel, yeah, it, does it feel innate to you? Yeah, I tell you what, the next job I'm going to do, I'm going to become an eco-warrior. Are you? <laughs> True life. Is it like, imagine that. We've got 12 years yeah. to, to prevent irreversible climate damage. Where's Greenpeace, man? Mm. Where's Gre- I, I actually emailed the boss of Greenpeace. Didn't get a reply. And then I emailed the chairman of Greenpeace. And I got into a bit of a discussion with him that, that sort of probably he felt was disrespectful. But where are they? You've got a 16-year-old Swedish girl yeah, yeah. having mm. more impact mm. on the battle to save the planet than what has sadly become a multinational corporation. Th- that, that innate quality, have you ever questioned where you think that comes from? So, so, so I think one of the things I've read about is um, how some of these kinds of qualities, I think it's being speculated that it can be handed down in DNA. Um, so not necessarily, it's not, it's not necessarily like the immediate generation. It can be grandparents and it can be fringe. But have you ever considered that? Do you, wha- yeah, wha- I mean, look, you know, my family are working class people. So there was, there was no, there was, you know, they, they were all factory workers. Yeah. So, you know, my mum worked on a cabbage factory. My dad was a bricklayer. So, and, and albeit my mum got a receptionist job and she ended up working as, as a sort of uh, PA in the NHS at the end. Um, but you know, like there were fa- there was there was no there was no it, it's it's not like Danny Dyer tracing his, no, right. his family tree back to royalty. Yeah. What what but what about grandparents? Is there anything there? Were they yeah, did my, they play my a role in your life? My um, maternal grandmother was it, it on a map now. It's in Russia, but it was in East Prussia. She's German, so yeah. she had to sort of walk. She was like a child in the Second World War, really. Or you know, she was a she was an early an early adult. Uh, working in a factory in Germany, married a British serviceman when Germany was sort of liberated and occupied. Um, and then on the other side, my granddad was a car worker and my my grandma, yeah, was a factory worker as well. So there's, like, there's nothing... There's nothing obvious. Yeah, there's nothing. Uh, could, d- is there anything you can remember from your childhood of... You mentioned that feeling of injustice when you went to that particular school... It does, is that, does that feel like the moment where it sort of tipped you and said, okay, I want to do something about this, this is something I care about? Or is yeah, it but I, I think in truth, life doesn't have moments, right? Mm. You know, it has sort of, it has clouds rather than lightning bolts, you know, sort of, you, you, you just feel like you're inclined to this rather yeah. than suddenly these, you know, a plot point, a sort of dramatic device that says this is the moment. So, you know, I used to, um, I... You know, I, I was green. I was a vegetarian at the age of eleven. I, I I went back to eating meat briefly afterwards, but I'm a vegetarian now. But um, but you know, I was interested in those things, and I was very interested in ecology. And then I was like, I was keen letter writer actually. You know, I used to write letters everywhere from my bedroom. You know, give uh, us an example of the kind yeah, of letters. Yeah, just like you know, <laughs> my mum was telling me I used to read comics every weekend. Which so uh, we c- yeah, I yeah. Wanna, we so definitely want to uh, get like there. Regular, so I used to get up every morning at like six a.m. 5 a.m., 6 a.m., go to the local news agent, buy whatever comic was out that day. We like different times, right? Mm. But there was a comic out every day. And my mum got a letter, a knock at the door one day, and it was a guy from DC Thompson. And I'd complained, t- I'd written a letter like a six year old kid <laughs> because the comic hadn't been in the shop that week. And Fair uh, enough. And I was gutted that I'd gone down there and they'd not had delivery of the comic. And my mum was like, He's a kid. I don't know where he is. He's at school. <laughs> <laughs> there was a guy from. DC Thompson asking where I'd bought the comic and well, it actually came round to your house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, different yeah, yeah. age, isn't <laughs> it? Isn't it? Isn't it? And so that so now, you know, because I I know I I'd read about in a bio somewhere online about you getting your first job from um, drawing a picture. It was a, co- a comic strip, I think. Yeah. So that becomes a, a bit more a bit clearer in terms of why you oh, would have done absolutely, that. Absolutely, you know, I, I always do always describe it. So I got my first job. Here's what happened. I always say to kids now, like. I, I always say this, if you're applying for a job now, I guarantee what, what you do, what website do you go to first? Go to Google, mm. what's the first thing you do? You type in CV, you don't even know what a CV is. Type in CV, what do you click on? You click on the first link. Um, you click on the first link, uh, you go to the first template, fill in the first template, 
And surprise, surprise, your job application looks identical <laughs> to everyone else's. <laughs> yeah. And so that's what I discovered. I sort of was doing a CV and I used to print it on yellow paper, actually, and still I was getting no responses. <laughs> and then I drew like a, a four page Beano strip is the best way to describe it. Sort of uh, really bad. If you see it now, it's like it's even now. I saw it. I, I saw it. I think you tweeted yeah. it. Yeah, it's like I found four it, out yeah. of ten. It's like, it's, but. What happened was it transformed the way I was perceived. So I went from being, you know, another application with no experience to being, you know, that kid who did a cartoon strip. Mm. And so it's so about getting noticed. Yeah, absolutely. Same at Capital Radio. Every job that I applied for, I changed the first square of the CV. <laughs> so it looked like I was pointing at their advert. And so it looked like, oh, he must have done this for, that's our mm. ad. He must have done this for us. And he literally, I'd just changed the first square every time. And uh, so my objective was to get a job in a record company because I didn't know what jobs there were. And I thought, I'll apply for a job in a record company. And, um, and like, you know, I, I, I sent off 50, 30 or 50. Um, and, like, you know, it was an expensive day postage when you haven't got, I was doing bar work or whatever. Sent these off. And I started getting phone calls the next day. I got a phone call the next day from a guy who was, at ZTT Records, who, like, back in the day, Frankie goes to Hollywood and yeah. Seal and people yeah. like that. He phoned me up going, mate, this is the... It was like a big lunch. Mate, this is the... Oh, my God, this is the... Mate, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Mate, let me give you a reference. And, like, literally, I was sitting there watching Neighbours. <laughs> you know, Good, like, wasn't it, Neighbours? <laughs> so, like, it's 5.30. I'm watching Neighbours. I've got this phone call from this guy who's in rapture about the CV that I've created. But um, <laughs> how is he going to give me a reference? He's never met me. I'm like, oh, thank you so much. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Mate, I can't tell you. Oh, my God. Dave, Dave, <laughs> Dave, come and look at this. <laughs> Did you ever meet this guy? <laughs> nah. Oh, no. Maybe anyway, what was his name? You don't I remember, no do you? Idea. No. But anyway, I got, like, work experience, kicked on someone's sofa, did a week's work experience at, like, EMI London Records. And then... Uh, and then I got offered a. I went down to Virgin uh, Records when it was at Labrook Grove. Oh yeah, that's Tom Dixon's place, right? Now, isn't it? And I got offered a job as the postboy of Virgin Records, which was like legit. People join there, people work their way up, and I knew if I get in there, I can be properly like. Because I used to do a lot of glass collecting, a lot of bar work, and I knew like I was a, you know, because I, I used to sing while I was working, and I I knew like if I get a job. Uh, postboy there I could definitely do something with that anyway the woman Karen Harry's offered me the job and she said uh, so look your job is this so Bruce I'm delighted to offer you the job the job is this you drive down to the post office every day you collect the mail and this is in the days of vinyl and CDs CDs more than vinyl but like legit heavy mm. packages and at the end of the day you go back down and I said okay thank you so much I'm so grateful I imagine this was a lot shyer than I'm going to say now but um so just one thing to tell you, um, I don't have a driving license, but I have done a crash test before and they cancel my test on the day of the test. So I've done like loads of driving lessons. And if I do another crash test, I know that you can arrange them. I can, if I do another test in two weeks, if I pass my test, I'll come and work here in three weeks. Logistical nightmare. Yeah. Right? Uh, if I don't, then I'll give you the job back and you can give it to someone else. And she went, well, okay, that seems like a deal. And then I did like a week's worth of drive, two weeks had worth you, of Had you done lessons. loads of... I'd, oh, I'd had, done yeah, like, yeah. and they'd cancelled it on the day, but yeah. I hadn't been ready the previous time. But, um, and then, uh, and then like took my test and it was all right, actually. I was like, definitely not the best driver in the world now, but like, I, was, I was not catastrophically bad, but I failed my driving test. Oh man. I didn't observe properly on a quite a busy corner on the mm -hmm. Bristol road. And, uh, and I failed my driving test. So I had to phone her up and say, I'm so sorry. I, you know, I, I won't be able to join you. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, like, I did. So then how, I knew how, what... How I, gutted were you? You know what, like, I was, and, like, you know, I've, I've started telling that story to kids because I often say to kids, look, you know, number one, you can get noticed far more than you think. Mm. You know, like, um, I eventually used that CV to get my job at Capital Radio, and they said to me, we interviewed 50 people for that job, and we want you to know. Someone told me this over a glass of beer, but they told me a couple of years later, you were the worst candidate but everyone loved your CV so much yeah. that we were like, go give Co Cartoon Boy a chance. Yeah, Cartoon uh, Boy. <laughs> right, so I knew that, I'd, anyway, I knew then I'd created something good. Uh, but I always say to kids, look, you know, the hard part, of course, is getting people's attention. I always say to kids, this, it's almost like 
there's a lane on the motorway that no one's using. If you want to write a letter that gets to the bottom of Snapchat or whatever kids use, you know, if you want to get to the boss of the BBC, the boss of, you know, the TV production company, the, there's a whole lane on the motorway that no yeah. one uses. And, uh, and but OK, so you do that and it sounds like you, you did that then and you do it now and probably will always do that because yeah. you just know that that is a shortcut. Yeah. Um, but there are so many people that don't know that. Yeah. And that they do go with the flow. And because they go with the flow because that's what you do. Yeah. But but look, you know, the critical thing, I was just reading something about British cycling on the train today. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that the British cycling team have always had at the heart of everything they do is you've got to challenge the... You've got to challenge the things that are like the norms. You've got to challenge what people say. So, you know, British Cycling were the first cycling team to go from uh, 98 centimetre wheels to, to 102 centimetre wheels, which makes every pedal yeah. harder. But they did that because they thought, well, we've got to find three seconds. Mm. If we do that, maybe these are half a second in that. And, like, they wanted to catch up to the Australian team. And it's, like, always challenging every norm. And... If this is my strong feeling about work right now. If, if the, the reason why I've become obsessed about work, the average British person spends two days a week in meetings, right? Managers spend three day, days a week in meetings. If a child was to, to look, if you were to have a Freaky Friday and you were to switch and a child was in your eyes, a child would be baffled by mm. the fact that you're spending two days a week pretending to pay attention, mm. right? You're not even doing anything. You're pretending to listen. So if you like, if success is challenging norms, Okay, I can make everyone two days a week more profitable by getting rid of all of those meetings. Mm. But unless you challenge those norms, you're never going to be better. So, you know, the thing I always say is you've got a open lane on the motorway to, um, to reach anyone in the country. Now, you've got to make sure that the letter arrives has got to be, you know, when I was... When I was working on YouTube, my view was it was a 10 out of 10 product. You've got to work on it in a 10 out of 10 way. You can't be like coasting along the way. So, you know, I'd go out and I'd try and represent it in a 10 out of 10 way. But, you know, if you're writing a letter and it's landing on the desk of wherever it is, you know, whoever it is, I guarantee you could get in for it. You've got but to make sure it's a 10 out of 10 letter. But then there are people like yourself who are motivated by what they're doing and want to achieve things. And there are other people, and it's probably you know the, the statistics will say it's a, the, a really really big chunk of people who just want to get through the day yeah good for them I'm yeah you know i'm not i d definitely I, i'm not here to force anyone to do anything they don't want to do but um you know if people are like if um if people are like i just want a break i just want an opportunity i just want you know it would be great if i could get noticed i'm just saying i think it's easier than you think to get those to get noticed and look that's not well, but but also that that approach that you take and you know and i think we take it quite a lot is it's just so much more fun yeah yeah. because you feel alive yeah you're, you're conscious of what's going on and yeah and one day doesn't roll into the next and one week doesn't roll into the next and you don't live your life on autopilot you're actually awake yeah absolutely and that that's that's uh, you know uh, what I think we talk about a lot is trying to help the people that that aren't awake become awake by just taking small steps out of their comfort zone doing a different cv and asking that question that maybe they're sort of thinking they should ask but a bit too embarrassed yeah. to ask at a conference or in a meeting or you know and it's just there's so much opportunity for us all to enjoy yeah. work more yeah, do, do you think getting into um capital as cartoon boy gave you that platform immediately to to almost not conform no you know, you I, was, know? I, like, I was no I was bottom of the class you know like i was the most junior person in the whole office um and you know the other two people who've been hired at the same level as me had both of them had two years experience so no not at all not at all but you know from the off there i was like i can't believe this monday meeting is i tell you like I, we used to work with loads of radio stations and each week a radio station would come in and represent themselves and so I became obsessed with the ones who were aware of the, those who empathised with what the audience frame of mind was did better than those who thought about the message they wanted to tell. Yeah. If you get the difference. So those who thought, OK, these people must see a radio station every week and none of those things must be memorable. And I suspect a lot of them start with the same information. The ones who understood that that was th what the audience was like, 
um, presented something very different. So, you know, you'd have some radio stations come in and do a game show. Mm. Hello. Right. Now we're talking. You know, right, that was a, right. And you immediately were like, I love that radio station. I love 210 FM in Bournemouth. Um, with others who came in with a really angry chip on the shoulder up north who's not flat caps and whippets you know you better not be saying that about us and so the people who try to empathize so consequently when I got my job at YouTube I used to like I was very fortunate to to be like you know employee number one two or whatever is that right YouTube in, the in the UK, UK. yeah yeah, oh, yeah. Did, sorry did you go straight from capital to YouTube uh, uh, no I worked at a company called EMAP sort of magazine I know, and yeah, radio yeah. company before. yeah um at Bauer now, they're called Bauer. Yeah. Um, so, but when I um, when I first w- worked at YouTube, um, you like you know, le- it was sort of I was a tiny little add-on, like a tiny little pimple, really, at the side of Google. And Google's like, oh, so this was so uh, Google just put they just bought them, yeah, them yeah, yeah, and they yeah, were yeah. just expanding yeah. out, right? And so you know, it was this tiny little thing, and no one at Google. Um, philosophy at Google was to follow the money, right? They're yeah. all management consultants, and you know, and YouTube was like this tiny little distraction. Yeah. It's like a, it's incredible a, to think yeah, what's yeah, happened since, right. isn't it? And um, so, and when are we talking about? Which year are we talking 2008. about? Two thousand eight. Two thousand eight. Yeah, um, amazing. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, you know, YouTube dogs on skateboards, and you know, but people didn't want to have anything to do with it. And so I put my hand up, and I ended up working on YouTube. And um, so my view was, right, we're going to be if. If the philosophy, if the feeling is this is dogs and skateboards, we've got to be out changing that. And the way we can change that is it's the single best website on the internet. We can easily change that, but we've got to tell that story. And so, you know, so so it was just, so my view was, my view was you don't work on a 10 out of 10 product and do out a 4 out of 10 job. You work on a 10 out of 10 product and you do a 10 out of 10 job. So my view was we could go out and present and I contacted every single conference I could. You know, like no one at Google con- con- contacted any conferences. This, Contact- so this was all you just doing this of your own accord? Contacted any time I saw a conference, I'd contact them saying, do you have anything else coming up? Would you? And, and my view was, so I was presenting at three or four conferences a week. And my view was you never present the same stuff twice. Wow, so you're going out with new stories every time. Every and single presentation what, was new. What was your experience of being in that environment, that world, before getting into that gig? So w- were you quite comfortable public speaking and going uh, out? And it, w- it wasn't the thing that I loved the most at school, you know, like a sort of, I was, I was vaguely interested in politics as a kid. Yeah. And like, oh, maybe I'll become a politician then and like, you know. I, I very firmly subscribe to the belief that no one interested in politics should be allowed to You'd become You'd be a better off joining Twitter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, no, so, um, so what happened? No, no, so, so but my view was, uh, y- you've got a bit, so like, you know, people would say, I saw you present on Monday, and you've just presented a completely different presentation. <laughs> it's like, yeah, absolutely, because my view was, these people who used to go around these conferences, and if and if they see like different stuff all the time, then, you know. The, uh, the other thing was, as well, it's very easy to present on a website as rich and diverse mm. as YouTube, to present a video that, that I've seen that you haven't seen mm. yet. Mm. And so, you know. So go you've got new stories absolutely. every day. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you the story of this clip was uploaded on Monday by this time it already done this but let me tell you who was watching wow and let me tell you what else they watched well there's a story there and mm. people are like man that clip only went up on Monday and he's talking about it on Wednesday so it was it was just trying to it was trying to do a 10 out of 10 job and what, what's, what's motivating you at this point it's, it's not the injustice it's just it's, yeah, it's, just it's, to it's something to do it's there's a job to be done here yeah, and just you know, just wanting to do a job well, right? Yeah, yeah. Sort of. There's a work ethic that's coming through as well, because you said about getting up at six o'clock to go get the comic. And no, no, that w- that wasn't work though. That's just obviously early. Yeah, rising. but this doesn't sound like work. Yeah, but like uh, I'm like resolutely of the eight hours sleep a night brigade. I'm like you know, I've never economised on sleep in my life. So yeah, I don't necessarily mean killing yourself for it. I just mean um, you you were, you were talking about like a ten out of ten job where you're taking your role like really really seriously you know you want you want to do a fantastic job and if what that means is that you've got to go contact loads of conference uh, conferences and, and and put yourself forward and kind of and then create new content and 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 sort of like just make your own luck make your yeah. own future then you're going to do that and yeah. then b- almost by doing that you're leading by example yeah and, uh, and the people around you it, uh, start start to do s- start to exhibit the same behaviors yeah but i'm very much the opinion right that like I, the way i always view it is that if you gave a hundred people a job, yeah, there'll be one person who achieves things that no one else believed possible. Like something lucky happened, yeah. but they also they took a chance. But 
So your job isn't to be like the top out of it, but it's to be like top three. Yeah. So, and you know, the way you do that, so I've just had like this book come out and you know, it was Sunday Times number one bestseller. But you know, if you knew how that became Sunday Times number one bestseller, it was, I spent three months from submitting the manuscript to launch date every day thinking about what I can do to make that a bestseller. So, you know, it, there was no accident on it. It wasn't like it sort of dribbled out the end of the pipe mm. and fell into the car. And you're not afraid of a rejection, are you? No, no you get rejected all the time. Yeah. That's the thing, like with, you know, every single, all the time, like with my podcast, you know, I've had some amazing, truly amazing guests on. But, you know, loads and loads of people have never got back to me. Loads of people have never replied to me. Um, do you still write comic strips for them? Uh, no, although I was trying to help someone recently sort of with get work experience. And uh, my view was like there's loads of ideas, the creative ideas. The game's re- reason, the stuff you can do on computers now is way yeah, better yeah, than Yeah, absolutely. But it's massive opportunity to do those things. Mm. We had a good example of it. When I worked at YouTube, someone made, I mean, it's amazing this doesn't happen more, made a video CV. Yeah. And it was not very good. You know, I think he would say it wasn't very good. But... Um, I interviewed him. I was sending it to loads of people. It did half. It's still done about half a million views. Probably these days, if you released it and it was good, you'd do way more than that. It's just, you know, and like, you know, um, for me, there's so many. Everyone always feels like the first instinct when you're presented with the opportunity to do, to come up with a creative idea, you always think, you know, all the like that old that old patent office comment. All the good ideas have been invented. All the good stuff's been done. But far from it, like, everyone clusters around, runs around the football, you know, people are all doing the same stuff. So your idea is to do something that no one's doing, mm. you know. The, you said earlier when you were talking about getting into Virgin that you knew that if you got that job, you didn't quite say this, but what I in, intimated was um, you knew that you would be able to use that as a platform. It was something about feeling really comfortable with other people and something about... Um, well, once you got your foot in the door. Yeah. You, yeah. You say, so so can we just come back to that? and just Because uh, it sounds like there's something there as well in terms of... Well, you, back, you, back, with you back yourself. Yeah, but, but not in a sort of... You know, I'm not, I don't think I'm especially extrovert, but like I've got a um, an awareness of what I'm okay at. So, you know, when I used to work glass collecting, you know, I worked from the age of 16 glass collecting... Um, you know, I used to forge wonderful friendships with people. Yeah. But, you know... The in a, I presume this is in a pub of some description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. hotel or yeah. pub, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or cl- nightclubs as well. But um, wonderful friendships with people. So I knew, and, like, you know... So I, I, worked, in, um, I worked in a kitchen, uh, like, a, a for, for a long time after university, I worked in a, a kitchen, actually, at the university. And, like, you know, I knew that I was the sort of person... I w- by the attitude I brought to work more than anything else, not through any skills or not the that fact I'm more funny than anyone else. But, you know, when I left places, people used to seem, you know, yeah, really genuinely moved. sad that you were going. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So yeah. I thought, okay, well, if I bring a bit of that to a record company, yeah, yeah. then hopefully. So, so these days, a lot of people will go to university, they'll get their 2 1, and they'll, or maybe they'll do better than that, or. And, and they'll go into, I don't know what it's called these days, the milk round. Yeah. Um, and they'll get a job with a, a big London company. Yeah. And But they won't have done any of those. They won't have collected glasses. Yeah. They won't have... You um, don't think so? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, for a lot of people, I, I don't know if they I, do do that. Yeah, I think that's sort of bifurcation of London because I suspect middle class kids haven't. But let me tell you, there's plenty of working class kids in London who will. You know, who'll have worked in... Have, they'll have done six months in Five Guys. They'll have done, you know, half a year in a bar. Absolutely, you know, it's sort of it's the reality of London life. I'm sure. But, of but it. that I suppose all I'm saying is that that experience of doing those jobs with real people is such an education. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. And it's, it's a, I mean, it, it re- dealing with people, and let, let's face it, our life. If you if you're not good with people, you're certainly at a disadvantage. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, and it's a training ground that, wow. Yeah, it's interesting. I w- I've never sort of considered it like that. You know, when I was a glass collector, um, it's it's why I've always thought there's a tyranny of numbers because uh, I was a glass collector and I was 17, 
And the woman I was working with, Gloria, was a, a West Indian woman. And I found out one day that Gloria was 56. And it transformed my relationship with her because it had been like my best mate, Gloria. (laughs) (laughs) You were 17, did you say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who I was laughing with all the time. We were having a great time. You know, I was emptying the machine. I was getting the big heavy tray out of the machine because I don't want to let... So you just didn't think about it. And then the moment I knew her age, it's like, oh, blimey, look how old she is. And it's like, it's a bit like when you find out what someone earns. Like, it it changes your relationship Mm. with them. You know, I, I sort of work with people who have done incredibly well yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. and the moment you know a number it's like oh I was kind of happier when I didn't <laughs> know that number yeah yeah <laughs> you know well, why is that it's just the tyranny of numbers I think what happens is one of the worst things like you know to lesson that we're currently learning through um, certain other social media platforms but comparison leads to unhappiness you know yeah. one of the fundamental yeah. truths about happiness is that people are happier if they earn less but slightly more than their friends yeah. Yeah. than if they earn more, but slightly less than their friends. Yeah. Why? Because objectively they're less resourced, but because comparison leads to unhappiness. And yeah. so if you spend a lifetime, a weekend, scrolling through other people's photographs, other people's lives look look better than they actually well, are. I always, been remem- with these people. I always remember Michael Caine being interviewed. And, you know, the interviewer saying, you know, what was it like to be poor? You know, you grew up in the East End. You know, what was it like to, to be poor? He said, well, Everybody around me had exactly the same as yeah. I did. He said, I didn't know I was poor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, he, and it wasn't until he went to the West End, he suddenly looked up at the bright lights and thought, oh, bloody hell, there's another world. Yeah, a bit right. like you when you went to school. Yeah, yeah. It's the injustice thing again, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and suddenly, and these days, of course, there is no escaping from it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Comparison uh, wh- leads where, did, where did the move um, to Twitter come from? Uh, yeah, basically, I, um, I worked at YouTube, and I worked at YouTube for about uh, four years. And um, and Twitter got in touch with me. Basically, I, I did that thing where Twitter got in touch with me. Um, I did that thing where I was out presenting all the time. Yeah. And um, and my objective was always to be the best rated speaker of everywhere I spoke. I wanted to be the best rated speaker. So I spoke at you know probably. Is that, is, sorry to interject. Is that is that the ten out of ten thing again? Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So you know the the aim is so how can I be the best rated speaker today? Yeah, or top three out of the hundred. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that I was sort of doing the sort of the perfect job. I just want to check that we've we're not going to get thrown out. Of here. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. So let's you know no it's okay because I mean th- I think this is we we've just heard some really really interesting stuff here and th- there's lots of comparisons with other people we've we've spoken to, um, but some real new stuff. The f- there's yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just been making, making notes as we go. And, and this thing of, like, do the job and do the job to the best of your ability. Absolutely. And you to might get thrown out of here. Yeah. There's another room. All right, well, cool. we, can, we, can, we can pause and then and cut it yeah. back in if that works. Okay, okay. I'm let's conscious of your time as well. Let's carry on talking. Yeah, yeah, great. Someone comes to the window, we'll okay. have to move. So, um, so sorry, yeah, we were saying, you, you, so you'd been, you'd been at YouTube. Um, you wanted to be known for... Yeah, yeah so I did this presentation that, I'd, like, was the biggest event of the year, like a 1,000 people and... And a top-rated speaker there. Oh, good for you, man. That's great. And uh, like I, was, I was on before Jimmy Carr, actually. And Jimmy Carr said... On before uh, Jimmy yeah, Carr? Jimmy Carr came to me afterwards and said, uh, and said, blimey, you had them laughing there. I was actually... Wa- because, you know... <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad, is it? Uh, yeah, but like, it's a secret of, you know, I, I'm not... While I did say a few very funny things in that presentation, a lot of it is like, you know, I had a funny clip for that and I had a very moving clip for that and I had a very funny clip for that. So you piece those things together. Anyway, Twitter saw it and they got in touch with me saying, uh, would you want to come and work at Twitter? And uh, I love Twitter. I've always loved Twitter. Were you really active on Twitter at that point? Were you? I love it. Yeah. Makes me laugh every day. I love it. Um, And so, and uh, so I met the guy. I liked the guy. And then uh, they said, will you come and meet the CEO of Twitter? And I was like, who w- well, wouldn't? I have yeah. no intention yeah. of going to work there, but who wouldn't want to meet the CEO of your favorite thing in the world? And that was, <laughs> that was Jack, was it? No, it was, uh, it was uh, Dick Costello. Oh, of course, before, yeah. And, uh, and so came over, met him, had a brilliant time chatting to him. And uh, I thought, yeah, you know what? I quite fancy that. And so that, that was it. It was sort of came from that. Really. Yeah. But, you know, the philosophy stood. So when I came here, the philosophy was it's got to be any time we do a presentation, it's got to be the best presentation of the day. People have to say to us, our presentations look more beautiful than everyone else's, more entertaining. It's got to feel like that was written 
wow, this morning it's so fresh. Yeah, yeah. It's got to feel like that incredible thing that happened on Twitter that happened yesterday has got to be in there. And it's got to be like, like it's just setting a high standard. For yeah, got it, got it. And I think there are people out there, actually. Oh, maybe it's the next room. Oh, right. We'll okay. keep our eyes and ears open. Yeah. We're about it's to get okay. kicked out of the room, possibly. <laughs> the um, th- 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 That's quite a good segue towards the where the book and the podcast came from and and uh, you know it, you mentioned earlier about capital and about feeling like you could challenge the norms and um and this kind of um frustration for meetings for meetings sake um that is it d- did the book and the podcast just was that born out of your own initiative was it something supported by twitter uh, is uh, yeah, i mean like I, I do it at the weekend so like you know I was on a train this morning, I was reading a book, you know, I might contact the author, I might not contact the author. It's like it's sort of filling the gaps between things. It was more, I'll tell you what happened. I was um, I was interested in trying to improve the the lot of the people here, try and sort of improve the culture here, the environment here, because it had been amazing and then it sort of dipped, it had sort of gone down. And I went, it's like, oh, okay, what's the secret? And then the more psychologists I started chatting to, I was like, hang on, this is the opposite of what everyone does yeah. in work. Yeah, this yeah. is incredible. You know, the the thing that I'm most confounded by is the stress, which is the operating system of mot- modern work, is completely anta- uh, antagonistically opposed to creativity. Sure. You know, th- there's no examples of where people are of their most creative when they're stressed. Yeah. Um, and it's by necessity in your brain, you know, when a, when a, uh, a two-ton you know, truck is, is hurtling towards you, you don't start brainstorming. Yeah. Like you, your brain sort of goes into survival Auto mode. Pilot, yeah. And um, so we're, we're trying to encourage everyone to be creative. It's like, you know, everyone's got to be creative. Everyone's got to think of creative ideas. And yet, half of all people who check their phones for two hours a day outside work hours show the highest measurable levels of stress. And the, the weird thing is we're, we, we live in this stress. We just dwell in this stress. Stress is like so ubiquitous. No, none of us even know we're stressed. No. You know, like we're so stressed, no one knows we're stressed. But if you ask anyone how's it going, the answer they will give you, without exception, is busy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Know, we're we're so drowned in stress, we're so saturated with stress that none of us even recognise it. Yeah, we're like fish, goldfish in a, a bowl. But that's because we've got used to it, isn't it? It's, it's just crept up Absolutely. on us. It, but then what you hap- have in those situations is you say to someone, come up with a creative idea, and what happens is they're initially confounded. In fact, when you ask people if they're creative and they're stressed, they often say, yeah, yeah I felt creative. But afterwards, you go back and you objectively assess the quality of their creativity, mm. and it's measurably lower. But um, what we do when we're stressed, we, we return to what was creative before. We've yeah. all recognised it with our favourite music artists, right? They have that mm. incredible blowout mm. single that's mm. like, it was, you know, the moment, and then you're ready for the next one. It's like kind of the same. It's kind of, uh, the difficult sa- second album. That sounds like the same as the first one. Yeah. Why? Because it's they're, safe. they're there thinking, we know what sounded creative last time. Let's kind of... Well, it, or, or it worked last yeah, time. That's right. You that's know, right. it worked last time, so let's do it again. So objectively, we're less creative. But that's it. So like, as soon as you start hearing this, well, the science about open plan offices is catastrophically bad. You know, open plan offices see a reduction in face-to-face communication by three quarters. Emails go up by two thirds. People end up hating their colleagues. You know, if you were going to try and sabotage a company, you might try and mandate that they introduce open plan offices, right? You're like, it's almost if you wanted to try and hack another company's operating system, right? Okay, we're going to move them to open plan. We're going to uh, inc- we're going to make sure they have two days a week of meetings where yeah. nothing happens. But it's always a reaction, isn't it? And uh, open plan offices came about because there was a reaction to what was before yeah partly p- partly tr- because they were perceived as hierarchical but that's also right because, yeah um objectively they are more aesthetically pleasing you know so so frank lloyd wright was one of the, the yeah. pioneers of he just loves you know the the, the light the the openness it just yeah. looks so engaging I tell you what we normally create offices that look like great restaurants mm. you know you can imagine oh this would be fantastic look at this terrible to work in i always i always think sort of the modern office is like the fire festival looks fantastic (laughs) in the brochure but it's a terrible place to spend a week yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) um let's let's close off but would be useful to understand a bit more about what's next for you you know um this this kind of motivation for um the change of work um and that thread of your life and also what you're trying to do at twitter what what do you what do you think the future looks like yeah i mean twitter's like you know very focused on um, 
we're really interested in the way social media evolves all the time, right? Like, you know, when Twitter first started 13 years ago tomorrow. Uh, Is it really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, when Twitter first started, you texted. You didn't have an internet on your phone then. Imagine that. Imagine that. You didn't have internet no. on your phone. So you texted an didn't update of where you're going to be. Right. So, you know, f- how far we've come in those 13 yeah, years. Yeah. And when you plan forward, there's definitely changes. People... Um, across most social media, post fewer original comments now, but comment more. That's interesting. Yeah. So you know, so that that means the commenting, the chat the seems to be like where the meat is. And so, how can you facilitate better chats? How mm. can you facilitate better conversation? You know, that's an obsession. So our, th- our vision is a bit. Could Twitter become like the WhatsApp group for lots of topics? Yeah. You want to talk about your favourite Netflix show? Twitter's like the, the sort of the WhatsApp group for that. So that's sort of like the very loose thinking on those things. Um, on the work stuff, like you know, I I I'm convinced. Like you know, you chat to people. I'm chatting to someone at the moment. I'm trying to to set up a session with someone who works at the NHS. And this woman who works at the NHS, immensely stressful. Like. Uh, uh, A&E workers, emergency room workers, are immensely stressful. And she used to bring 10, mi- uh, 10 minutes every week to their weekly team meeting. Little things like um, clapping games. You remember those yeah, in the yeah. playground? Yeah. Or she used to, and she found it filled the room with laughter. And then when they looked at the resilience, when they looked at the happiness of the people who were working in this horrible, relentlessly draining organisation, she found like, oh, they were more happy. Mm. These people were... By that sort of act of human, it's such a simple sync, thing. Yeah, were they were somehow they were sort of they were building more resilience. Really interesting. So, like, my feeling is, I don't think people read books, and I'll be there. I've written this book, and it's done well. But I'm like, can you create more ways to get these messages to people? Yeah. So whether that is just adding more stuff to my website, or whether that is, you know, just trying to get. Uh, I'm not interested in making money from it. So like, as soon as you're not interested in making money from things. The opportunities presented it's by them freed up, up a bit. That's yeah, right. that's right. Well, your creativity. Um, absolutely, yeah. I don't care about making money from yeah. it. Yeah, um, and is tw- does Twitter does that act as your test bed for a lot of this stuff then? And, and, and uh, I mean, a little bit. Like, I I try and more than anything, I try and most important thing I think at work is it gives people the agency, the autonomy to yeah. be self-directing. And so I don't tell anyone to do anything. In fact, you know, I only manage people in this building via other people. So, you know, the UK MD is his own thing. And if I was standing over everyone's shoulders reporting to him, saying, by the way, uh, by the way, guys, you <laughs> know, I, I think he would feel undermined. So more than anything, I try to create like a climate rather than, you know, be sort of directive. And, and, and how does it how does it work? Sorry, how does it work? You know, you, you're head of EMEA, so you're the, the cultures are very different in yeah, different yeah, parts yeah. of your, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, your region. Yeah. And and how how you got to let them sort of be their own thing. I mean, like that, that's the interesting thing. If you, I sort of you know bang the table and passionately advocate for taking lunch breaks, tell you what, you tell the French and the Spanish to take yeah, a lunch yeah, break, yeah. and they kind of stare at you a little bit, thinking. You're mad. What's he talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's not been taken? Yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. And so, consequently, you know, it's like th- these some places where culture just already has got, you know, we've we've appropriated a lot of things from America, mm. and you know, just objectively, these uh, these evidence that they're not the right things to do. Yeah. So, t- so Twitter are very supportive of 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 this yeah, this, yeah, this I mean thinking. Like, you know, this I do my job. Yeah. So I think if you know we've just had a cracking year, we've just had a, like a, a off the charts year, and we're we're having a fantastic start to the year. I think if if things weren't going well, then they might very rightfully sort of pull up at my desk saying, "What's you know, <laughs> what the heck is this?" Whereas you know, it's my weekend hustle. I, t- I tell you, sort of, you know, it's it's amazing what you can do. With your weekends, you know, yeah. if, like if you sort of, <coughs> you know, like I, I sit there. I, I guarantee you I've got, I've got three interviews recorded, and one of them I will edit on Saturday, and it will take me about four hours to edit it, and then I'll upload it. I'll level the volumes. I'll do a post for it. Uh, I do an email mailing every two weeks. You know, it it's a lot of work, isn't it? Lo- we're, we're just we're, yeah, we're just, just realising this. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, yeah, it's a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, you know. Um, 
but but credit to you because I because look again outside looking in I just assumed that it was um, you had a team tw- yeah yeah you you had yeah, people yeah. kind of you know and Twitter was supporting yeah. it and it was just part of yeah. what but it's not it's just something that you're, you're loving and you're, you're bringing to your moment, life. There's not one moment that like you know my energy from Twitter goes into yeah. and, and what in terms of the joy of your work your personal work what what's what's the thing you're working on yeah the the, the reason why I sort of I wrote the book and I've, I feel so uh, passionate about the book is because there's one of the things that I heard along the way, which is like, you know, um, you shouldn't be laughing right now, guys. Sort of, you know, this is not the time to be seen laughing. And, like, I think that sort of stuck in my head. Like, okay, what's the time to be seen laughing? Okay, so what's the time? And so, you know, for me, finding the science of laughter, and actually what you find of the science of laughter is absolutely compelling and remarkable. You know, psychologists will tell you that laughter is less research than anxiety or mm. other disorder mm. Large, largely because it seems frivolous to re- to research it and largely because i guess there's less of a pressing need you know t- but laughter people who study survival uh, s- people who s- survive either avalanches or yeah. plane crashes or are more able to laugh lost at sea the ones who survive are not bear grills no. types who like earnestly start laying down berries yeah. and doing these things. In fact, they're less likely to survive than children, than infants. Weirdly, infants are really good at surviving those things, largely because they sort of live in a fancy land. They're not, they're not encumbered by sort of the, the risks. But the people who survive are the people who laugh every day about how ridiculous their plight is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're like, they sit, they, yeah. they, they this sit is shit. They sit and laugh at them, so like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm fucked here. Yeah, yeah. They sit and laugh and, and um, laughter so not only makes us more resilient, it makes us more creative. Yeah. get people to watch videos together they, they're about a third more loose with their thoughts they're more revealing to each other they're more right and so you reach they're more connected with each mm. other it's like you know there's a connectivity that people seem to if you get people to laugh with others and then you say to them do you trust those people they're far more likely yeah. to say they trust those people so laughter seems to be just about the most magical elixir of, of work a way of bringing us together right and so why on earth would why, why yeah. would on earth would you ever instruct someone now is not the time to be seen laughing yeah. now is damn right that recession is when you should be doubling down on the laughter yeah, yeah. so that's it's like that that was why you know it almost felt like right okay this book is sort of like a labor of love because i, I want to assert those facts really we um, a couple of times you've mentioned um the role of children um and you, you said it again then and one of the things we've talked about before is how um i've got a couple of young kids and it's so obvious to me because of their age that we are those children you know we are four-year-olds we've just got quite good and uh, and and sort of comfortable at disguising ourselves for the needs of society yeah exactly and then and actually when you just look at um kids in their natural state and the way they behave so much of the benefits that we get for being human is right there in front of us right and it's just but somehow society sort of told mm. us and i wonder if it's come from industrialization or, or something about education and I, I, do, do you feel that do you do you yeah. see the same thing but for fear of judgment we adapt who we are so yeah. you know to not appear ignorant we don't ask questions that's right to not appear s- t- troublesome we don't raise issues you know we adapt who we are all the time to to try and appear like a more agreeable version yeah. of ourselves you know we th- the version of you Sunday night watching Netflix is very different to the version of you 9 a.m. in front of a client. You know, we adapt ourselves all the time to, to win favour. But it's quite stressful to do to Absolutely. do that all the time. And it's, and it's not authentic. And it's Although on, on the flip side, my son's just finished six months working in a garage and uh, a, a work placement. And uh, I said to him last night, I said, what's what's you know, what's the big thing you've learned from it? He said, well, so he, he was 18 when he started, he's 19 now, and he said, he said the biggest thing I realised in the whole period is that adults are just big kids, aren't they? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Is that a yep? <laughs> so, I mean, it's not that we're not the first people to say this, but it would be fair to say, um, be more childlike. You know, yeah, yeah, find the it. child yeah, within so, uh, and just let it come out yeah. and kind of t- bring that into yeah. the world. Yeah, absolutely. Bruce, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, love it. That's it, folks. For show notes, head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links, a quick summary, and you can also explore other conversations. If you're enjoying this podcast, then please tell your friends, give us a good rating, and remember to subscribe.
We're also really keen to hear your feedback. So please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on Twitter. You can tweet us at LifeDoneDiff, that's double F. If you fancy something different in your life, check out Do Something Different. It's really simple. Head over to www.dsd.me, go to the pro collection, choose a program that suits your goal. That could be being happier, more emotionally intelligent, or even quitting smoking. And then you're off. You'll be sent some small steps that stretch your comfort zone and help you achieve your goals. Enjoy. And until next time, keep on living life differently.